Well, good morning. I walked in today and saw that three or four foot um, drawing of my face. It's a real scary way to start the day. But I do appreciate all the kind uh, comments that many of you have made. And um, I just recognize, too, that we're part of an amazing staff team. And uh, it's just an amazing group. And there are others also serving on the staff that are in pastoral roles. So I encourage you to encourage them as you run into them for the work that they do. Every time I think of the subject that I want to talk about here today, uh, a story comes to my mind, something I shared a couple years ago of when I was in high school. I decided that I wanted to make some money by selling mice. The idea was to go to a pet store, get one male, one female, breed them, and then sell the babies. Uh, it never occurred to me that no one wants mice. I, I don't know why just didn't occur to me, but that's what I did. I went to the store, I bought a male and a female. I was so excited when they had their first litter. I started with two mice, now I had seven, maybe eight mice. And I, you know, I was just doing the math on it, like, boy, $5 each, whatever. I mean, I was gonna be making some serious money here. But they, they kept multiplying. Soon there were 12, soon there were 15, soon there were about 20. I was putting them in various boxes and containers, and finally I persuaded my parents to let me keep them in the tub. Uh, th these were the days before you took a daily shower, so I just have to admit that, that Saturday night, my three brothers and I all took our baths. It was to get ready so we'd smell nice for Sunday church, and so we only used that tub once a week. And my parents agreed to let me keep them there, and everything was fine. Everything was under control. I felt like the whole situation was... Everything was fine until they started getting loose. Suddenly mice were running around the kitchen and in the bedrooms and mice were everywhere and that was enough. My parents said, that's it. You've got to catch them all and take them all back to that store where you got them. Beg them to take them back if you have to. And I said, well, okay. So I, I got my box filled with these mice and I went to the, the shop and I said, hey, I, I bought these, a couple of them, but look what's happened. And um, I wonder if I could give them back to you. And the store owner um, was gracious enough to take them all, although I suspect he had another customer to whom he had sold some big snakes. I'm just thinking. <laughs> Our subject today is temptation. So some of you are probably wondering, um, what does that have to do with mice? and multiplying mice. Well, I believe that many times when we give ourselves into temptations, we view it as just a little thing. You know, it, what does it hurt to do this or that? We yield to a particular temptation and we find oftentimes that it, it doesn't seem like there are any consequences for whatever it was. And so we do it again and we do it again. And sometimes we start doing it more often and sometimes we get deeper into it to a point where we thought we were in control, but we're not. It is in control. The sin begins to take over our lives. Reminds me of a cartoon I saw several years ago from World War II. It was a cartoon that was depicting when Hitler invaded Russia. And it had a picture of Hitler and he was hugging this bear and underneath it said, I caught a bear and he won't let me go. That's what it's like. Sometimes we give ourselves into temptation and the next thing you know, we're trapped. It has got us and sometimes it ruins people's lives. Almost every day, uh, 
I will read uh, the newspaper or online various stories of people that committed various crimes for which they're arrested. And, and lots of times there are people who are kind of young, uh, you know, 21, 22. And, and almost every time I read a story like that, the question comes to my mind, how on earth did you get into such a mess that at 21 years of age, you got into so much trouble. How did this thing so spiral out of control? And I realized, well, it's not something that happened overnight. A person, for example, doesn't decide one day to go out and rob a bank just out of the blue. Like, I think I'm gonna rob a bank today. No, the person gave in to other sins first, other temptations first, and so maybe they needed some money, maybe it was a drug habit or whatever, but they took some money from their parents or they took them from, from friends or from coworkers or whatever, and they saw that they got away with it, and when they needed money again, they did it again, and they were getting a little bit better at it, but eventually they just need more. You can't, you can't empty the person's wallet, and suddenly you find themselves committing crimes and, and they've ruined their entire life and, and many times I think they would wish in their own minds that they had said no way back here. What if they had learned to deal with temptation when it was so manageable before it multiplied into something else, before it got completely out of control? Now, the area of temptation applies to lots of different areas. I usually think of the sexual area when people give in to various temptations. It's maybe start with the mind, work on, move forward to the internet, and, and next thing you know, you're doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. But temptation is in lots of areas of our lives. It could be, for example, with anger. We do not deal with anger when we're first impacted with it and we don't handle it correctly and we hold on to it and it begins to grow and multiply and it begins to take over, doesn't it? Sometimes anger can take over and it could eventually destroy us. I was reading just yesterday a story of some 18-year-old guy that got into a fight with a police officer. I said, oh my, you just don't do that. You just don't do this. But, I, but again, I, it wasn't out of the blue that this happened. It's someone who all along has not learned to, to control the impulses, and so he's given into all kinds of things, and then finally he's in this situation, and he is just what he is, an angry person who takes it out on a police officer, and then his life suddenly is marred or marked. You can get beyond a lot of these things, but oh, if you'd learn to say no way back. My main takeaway here today is this, that we need to overcome temptation before it overcomes us. By the grace of God, overcome the temptation before it overcomes you. I think this is what Paul was getting at in some verses I shared a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He said, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I'm really... I'm really keeping a close eye on this thing. Or the writer of Hebrews we looked at two weeks ago. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Sin is so easily ensnaring to us. Get rid of it all. Run with endurance the race that's set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who's the source or author and perfecter of our faith. Now, two weeks ago, I talked about some motivations for saying no to temptation. 
I do not think it's enough to just tell someone, stop sinning, stop giving in to temptation, or telling yourself the same thing. Don't do it. I think there needs to be a positive motivation for it, and so I suggested a couple weeks ago that we need to have a greater yes that makes it easier to say no to temptation. What are we saying yes to? I suggested several things. For example, saying yes to the team that you're on. By this I meant that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a Christian and you're part of the body of Christ and the things you do, both the good and the bad, reflect on the rest of us. And so say yes to the team and no to this thing. We talked about also those saying yes to winning. I don't know about you, but I love to win. I don't like to lose. And it could be a motivation for us. I wanna hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. I talked about saying yes to Jesus himself as our savior, the one who loved us and died for us so that we could live for him. And many times it comes down to that. Am I gonna love my sin or am I gonna love what my Jesus, my savior? And it's just a motive to say, I'm gonna set this thing aside because I love you. And sometimes that's been the exact nature of my prayer. I want this thing, but I set it aside because I want you more. It's saying yes to joy. I'm convinced that some sin is very enjoyable or pleasurable, but it doesn't lead to joy. Sin does not end with joy. And so maybe you enjoyed yourself for just a little bit, but there's a bitter taste afterwards. And you, you, righteousness leads to joy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones who will be satisfied, truly satisfied. And then finally, I talked about saying yes to growing stronger. I just think the temptation's an opportunity, an opportunity to flex your spiritual muscles, to look at it and say, it's good that I'm being tested in this way or tempted in this way. It's an opportunity for me to say no and to grow stronger in the process. And so these are some motivations. But today I wanna give a strategy. It's kind of part two of this, this particular talk a strategy that'll help us overcome temptation before it overcomes us. I wanna look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 through 13. Why don't you follow along as I read. Paul wrote, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. I noticed three things here from these verses that would be part of an overall strategy to overcome temptation before it overcomes us. The first one is this, to look out, to be on your guard, to be vigilant against sin and temptation in your life. I think that's part of what he's getting to in these early verses here. In verse 12, he says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall because no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. I believe that we're almost most vulnerable at the time where we think we're not vulnerable at all. But we think, well, that's not a sin that I would ever commit. Especially when we point at other people who have fallen in some particular sin and we condemn them and judge them for it without recognizing that all of us are tempted in the same ways. 
The seed of, of, of every kind of imaginable temptation is within all of us. We're all capable of sinning. We're all capable of doing things. It's, it's hard to imagine sometimes. In Galatians 6.1, Paul wrote, Brothers, if someone's caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. But then he adds, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Because I've seen it many times before where someone condemns somebody else and they were not gentle with someone who fell in sin and then they committed the exact same sin. And the song they sing afterwards is exactly the same from everybody. They all say the same thing. I, I, I didn't think it was possible for me to do that. In pride, they pointed at another person without recognizing that they're vulnerable. Look out. Look out, we're all vulnerable. We're all tempted in similar things. If you doubt that, I just consider the example of David in, in the, the Old Testament. He was such a, a godly guy. He wrote the Psalms. He was a, called a man after God's own heart. I mean, it's like when I grow up, I want to be like David. But he committed adultery and he committed murder to hide it. He was capable of both of those things. And I think, boy, if David, if David could do that, could happen to me as well. I better be alert. I better look out. I better be watchful of this. Part of watching out or looking around during these, when we're tempted, has to do with maybe the season we're in or the, even the moment of life that we're in. I'm not sure who came up with this, but someone has come up with the acrostic halt to describe that there are some times when we're in certain cir circumstances, we're more likely to be tempted. And each letter starts, stands for something. He says, for example, when you're hungry, whether it's physical hunger or whether it's hungry for attention or hungry for something else, when you have hunger, you're more vulnerable to temptation. You just are, you're just weaker in that place. The A is angry when you're angry. You're in a more vulnerable spot, better watch out. The L stands for lonely. Being lonely is a very vulnerable place to be. You'll be tempted in certain ways when you're lonely and tired is another one when we're tired. And what if we could stop when we're tempted in whatever area, stop and, and just ask ourselves, is there something about my circumstance right now that's making this hard? Something related to being hungry or angry, lonely or tired? It's maybe playing into this because I think the first step is just having an alertness, uh, an awareness to recognize that we're vulnerable, to kind of know even what's going on inside of us because that's where sin or temptation originates anyway. That's what James said in James 1, 13 through 15. He said, no one undergoing a trial or temptation, you could translate it either way, should say, I'm being tempted by God for God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Of course, this is my, this idea of the, the mice. You know, it's a little thing, but you give into it, and eventually it, it gets a life of its own, and when sin is then fully grown, it leads to the outcome of death, but he says it starts in here. Each one's tempted when he's carried away and enticed. 
by desires that are already in there, the desires that every one of us have, and so we need to look out. Second part of the strategy is to look up. I, I just think we need to learn to rely more on God's strength than our own willpower. When it comes to temptation, many times we, we try to battle it out in our own strength, and I think we need to look up. Let's read verses 12 and 13 again. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to humanity. And then here's this point. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to bear it. When you are tempted, when I am tempted, God is right here with us. And he makes it clear, by the way, that there's no temptation that he's going to allow you to undergo that you can't endure, that you can't make it through. That means that every time we say yes, it's because we wanted to, not because we had to. Sometimes I think we, we think, well, I just have to give in to this sin. No, you don't. Believers in Jesus Christ have been set free from the power of sin in our lives. We have the ability to say no. But ultimately, I think the victory comes from our relationship with our Creator. In Galatians 5, 16, Paul wrote, I say, then walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit means to live your life in reliance upon the Spirit of God. Every believer in Christ has God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in them. We have all the power we need. The very power of God is at work within us, enabling us, empowering us. That's what we have at work. So he says, walk in step with the Spirit. Live your life in reliance upon God's Spirit as you face the various temptations because God is faithful. And he won't, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able. The problem is I think we forget to turn to God or we don't want to. I mean, what would happen if when we're tempted in whatever area, what if we just stopped, realized I'm being tempted, and then we decide at that point, I'm gonna talk to God about this. I'm gonna turn this thing over to God. Now, oftentimes I think we don't pray about it because we forget to do it, and then we end up giving ourselves to that sin. Or, again, sometimes we don't want God to be part of it because we've already decided, I wanna do this, I wanna do this. But our God is there and ready. It's part of the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Lead us not into temptation. Don't let us down that path, but deliver us from the evil or from the evil one in that moment of testing. Deliver me as we face various tests. But what if we could learn to turn to God? And part of this, by the way, is just developing our relationship with Christ and walking in step with him because that's gonna weaken the power of sin in our lives. Jesus described it as a, like a vine and branches. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're connected to me. Stay connected because then you'll bear much fruit because apart from me, you can't do anything. I don't think we can do anything spiritual of significance apart from Jesus. But he wants to be part of this battle, but we exclude him from the battle. I'm just saying, look up and believe that God is able to deliver you from the temptation as he's promised to do. So we look out, we need to be alert and aware of what's going on in here and what's going on around me, and never thinking that we're greater than that. We can all sin. We look up, we rely on God's help, and finally we look around. I'm suggesting we redirect our attention here to whatever the way escape is. 
Because that's what, it, he, he wrote here that there's a way of escape. It's, again, let's read verse 13. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, God will provide an escape hatch, some kind of way of escape so that you'll be able to bear it, so that you'll be able to make it through it. It is always there. You say, well, what, what is the escape? I mean, what is it? Well, <clears throat> I think it can take so many different forms. For example, I think sometimes it's as simple as an interruption. You want to give yourself to a particular sin and your phone rings. It's like bad timing. My phone is ringing. I want to, I want to sin. It should stop you in your tracks. Maybe God's trying to get my attention. I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't a good thing. Just a little interruption that I think God allows in our lives sometimes, but there are other, other ways of escape. Maybe it's calling a friend. You know, James said, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. And, and what if you have somebody that, that can hold you a little bit more accountable that when you're being tempted in a particular area that you've shared with that person, you have the ability to call them anytime. Hey, I'm really struggling with this right now. I just, I just need to talk with you about it. It is, it is a way of escape. Sometimes the way of escape is just physically escaping. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, he said, flee from youthful passions. Flee from them. Don't, don't try to just endure them. Let's see how far I can go and not sin. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And again, the idea of including other people. But do we have examples in the Bible of people that fled, like Joseph? Remember, Joseph was a slave, and his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, enticed him, come with me. And he kept putting her off, and then one day she actually grabbed him. Come with me. We're alone in the house. He fled. He fled, he just, he left his cloak even behind. He said, I will not do it because I think he understood one more minute in this circumstance and I'm, I'm in a cave. I just have to get out of the circumstance and that's sometimes the way of escape. It's just a literal es escape. And so when you're tempted, ask yourself, where's the escape? Perhaps it's quoting verses. You know, Paul wrote, the Ephesians and Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a weapon. Jesus did this, of course. He modeled it so brilliantly for us. He was so tempted after 40 days in the desert by the devil to eat bread. After all, he needs to eat. Why don't you just, Satan said to him, why don't you just turn that stone into bread? It was, it was he was being asked to use his power in an inappropriate way, instead of trusting his God to provide for his food, he was being tempted to, to take matters into his own hands and make, do his own little miracle. And he didn't need to live, but Jesus responded from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, he quoted, man doesn't live by bread alone. That's not, that's not what life's about. It's by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is what he said. He was tempted to bow down before the devil. He was ready with a verse. He said, you know, the, the word of God says that you don't bow down or serve anyone but, but God, the Lord. And he had verses ready, and maybe we need to find some verses that relate to whatever it is that we're facing. 
But there are answers, there are solutions. The bottom line is this, I just wanna encourage us to have a, maybe a more decisive view of this problem and decide not to be double-minded, decide not to give ourselves to this sin. I think we wanna have our cake and eat it too many times. We think, well, yeah, I love this sin, but I love Jesus. We need to make up our minds. A scholar by the name of Stanley Jones wrote, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. The fact that you haven't decided is a decision. Or as James put it in James 4, 7, and 8, he said, therefore submit to God, but resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. I can't accuse anyone with this. I look at it and it indicts me. Double-minded. He's saying, stop being double-minded. You say you love God, and then you, you love this sin. Decide, stop being double-minded. Make a decision. And so I wanna encourage us as you evaluate your own life, there's maybe one or two areas in your own life that you struggle with, everybody struggles. First, I encourage you to look out, be aware of what's going on. Second, to look up, rely on God's help and stay in fellowship with God and finally to look around at whatever the way of escape is. Why does all of this matter? Well, because we're called to be a light in this world and, and because I think our God is looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him. God is looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him, not mostly. And temptation, he would remove it, except I think temptation provides for us opportunities to love God in, in greater ways, and he promises to help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that there is no temptation out there that's unique to us. We all face the same things, and that you are faithful. And I ask you, Lord, as we face various temptations in the days ahead, that you'll remind us of the things we've looked at here today. I pray you'd show us that way of escape. Help us to be mindful of our circumstances, our vulnerabilities at various times. Remind us of that so we'll look out. Remind us to stop and pause and look up. Remember to pray about it. It's awful hard to continue down that path when we've stopped to talk to you. And I pray, Lord, you reveal whatever that way of escape is to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.